Bible Talk is Jericho. It is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And Dr. Alex Patel returns to Talk is Jericho. He is an ICU doctor in Toronto, Canada. He's been on the front lines of the coronavirus since the pandemic started early last year. He actually came on uh, last March or April, I believe. And now he's going to give us a huge update uh, after 10 months of treating the sickest COVID patients, learning about the disease and watching the progress on the vaccine. He's actually received the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine. He was ready and willing to take it. And as you're about to hear, Dr. Patel has a lot of information to share about the vaccine from how it was created to its effectiveness so far and the hopes and expectations for the future. He also explains how they were able to get three vaccines to market so quickly and what the differences are between them, the Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca vaccines. He's also talking about the recent surge, why was it expected uh, by the healthcare industry, the recently discovered UK strain of the virus, and what needs to happen for life to return to normalcy, get people back in arenas and back at concerts and that sort of thing. So let's see what Dr. Patel has to say. He answers my COVID questions, offers some education on the vaccine, I tell you my experiences with COVID, uh, personal experiences, and uh, we're both hoping for a better 2021 and beyond. So let's turn the mic over to Dr. Alex Patel, starting right now on Talk is Jericho. It's crazy to think, but I last spoke to Dr. Alex Patel, I think back in March or April, just the very start of the coronavirus and, and all of the trials and tribulations of it and here we are in you know almost a year later still pretty much in the midst of things i guess just to jump right in how have you been over the last 10 months are you still super busy and 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 still working on the front lines so to speak yeah yeah no i've been very busy um still working in the front lines in the covid icu pretty much busier than we've ever been so yeah up and uh, busier than so and this is up in toronto where you're based right correct yes so busier than you've ever been is this something did you expect it to last this long because like i said it's been such a long time i can't even remember really the specifics that we discussed way back in march yeah we thought there would be a spike in the winter uh, and i think that's what we discussed that it would probably go away a little which it did over the summer and come back it certainly come back a lot harder than it did the, the first time around, I think, uh, in most areas, uh, especially in North America. So it's been challenging. Um, more lately, it's sort of been a slow trickle. I think the first time we got a lot of cases right away, and maybe we weren't managing them as well as we are now. So it's it's a little bit different in terms of how we manage them. But yeah, it's definitely starting to get higher and higher in terms of the caseload in the hospitals. Why is it spiking in the winter? And why did you expect that? Well, there's a couple of thoughts. One is that the virus transmits uh, indoors more easily. In the winters, you spend more time indoors. So that's one of the reasons. The second is even outdoors in the summer, the, the respiratory droplets are a bit thicker that you tend to transmit. So they tend to fall to the ground quicker. Mm-hmm. So they're not aerosolized theoretically as much. So even outdoors in the winter, there is a risk of transmitting just with the, the difference in terms of how the respiratory droplets uh, come out of your mouth. And we've also just hit a lot of holidays. There aren't as many holidays in the summer. So in the, in the winter, you hit you know, Thanksgiving, you hit the Christmas holidays and things like that, which tend to lead to more uh, gatherings. So I think the combination of that is probably why we're seeing more and more in the winter. Which seems so strange to me too. Like when we're talking about, I know, especially in Canada, I'm not sure how it is in Toronto with lots of lockdowns and, and, and staying at home and all that sort of thing. But to make everybody stay inside, <laughs> when you said it's better to be outside, right? It, that is the problem, right? The problem with the the lockdown, while they try to prevent you from sort of gathering to prevent large-scale outbreaks. The problem is you're encouraging people just to stay indoors more. And uh, obviously in the winter, you know, it, it's less likely people are going to go outdoors. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can obviously, but it's just it's just harder to do that. It's interesting because we've been um, 
with AEW, as you know, we've been we've been running in Daly's Place since May. And Daly's Place is an outdoor venue in Jacksonville. So it's been not so bad as far as, you know, still for six months we had no crowds. Mm-hmm. And then now we have, you know, the, the limited crowds. And it's been actually really cool because it maybe because it is outside, it's got a lot of a, a lot different of a vibe to it. And maybe you're saying a little bit less dangerous because it is outside. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, it looks pretty cool on TV. It's different. It, it definitely is less risky, we know for sure, to be outdoors uh, than it is indoors. And uh, that's been borne out uh, now for many months. It's interesting, too, because when you're saying that that you're busier than ever, are you still seeing, as far as, I guess, not no pun intended, as far as the demos, uh, is it still mostly the older people? Um, is it more of a just a complete overall range of people? Kind of what are you seeing as far as that goes? So um, mo- I work in the intensive care unit. So the ones that get sick enough to get in the intensive care are not usually the ones 80 and above because a lot of those don't make it that far if they, if right. they get COVID. So we're, we typically see people, most of my patients are, are 60 to, to 70 or, or that range. That's kind of who we're seeing, some in their 50s which is similar to the first wave. The one difference is the the variant out of the UK, the, the sort of UK variant that they're describing, this strain may affect children a little more. It's a little early to tell, but there are some reports that children are a little more affected by it. Whereas we know the first COVID didn't really seem to make kids that sick. What's the difference in the strains? The strain is just, I mean, it's a mutation, the strain that is is more, we don't know much about it. We don't know if it actually makes you sicker, but what we do know is it spreads faster. So there may be more concentration in your nose of this. It's not exactly known why, but it tends to spread a lot faster, um, much faster than the other ones. So it can lead to sort of more outbreaks and for some reason seems to affect children more. There's other variations that have popped up. There's a South African one. So like the virus, as it goes through its natural evolution, will mutate slightly. It takes a while to figure out kind of what each mutation means. But at least for the UK one, it just seems to spread faster and maybe affect children more. Is that something that you expected to? I remember we spoke about how coronavirus, just to kind of refresh, is basically a form of a flu uh, it was the swine flu. It was the H1N1. It's kind of the coronavirus. Corona is basically all of those similar types of, of flus, right? Yeah, coronavirus has been around forever. Like like coronavirus is, is one of the common colds that you would develop. This is a particular sort of strain. It's, it's most similar, I guess, to SARS, but um, the COVID-19 or as it's called. You know, I guess we were hoping that that it wouldn't mutate as much. SARS kind of went away, but there was a thought this virus was different just because it was spreading way faster than, than SARS ever spread. So it's not unusual to see mutations. Influenza, you know, mutates every year, right? You kind of need a new flu shot. So um, it's not unusual to see that in viruses. Um, the good news is that the vaccine and the treatment seem to be effective, so far at least, against all of these things. Mm-hmm. doesn't seem like the mutations are significant enough that you're going to need different vaccines or different treatment. Another thing about about the virus is it affects different people in different ways. There really isn't not uh, not one set of kind of symptoms or effects of this. Correct. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's it's one of the widest ranges. You can have people that are completely asymptomatic, so they they don't even know they have it, and then you have the other gamut where people end up on a ventilator. Right. Like there's just so many different presentations. Uh, you know, I've known quite a few people that have had it, that have, that have gotten it, you know, through work or, or through their kids or something. And some people had fevers and the classic symptoms. Others just had like numbness in their hands. Others had diarrhea. It's just very wide as to what the symptoms are. 
you know, there's no other way to explain other than maybe down the line when we get more research, we'll find probably that there is probably some predisposition family. So what we do see is that like if one family member gets sick, often quite a few family members get sick. So mm-hmm. probably something in their genetic makeup makes them more likely to be susceptible to this. Uh, and we know certain diseases where if you're immunocompromised, it does. But yeah, by and large, it's just a wide spectrum of disease that you see. It's interesting because I haven't really told him this, but I tested positive back in maybe September. Oh. And I had uh, zero symptoms. I'm one of the ones that you said, you know, I had my 10 days in isolation and stayed away from everybody. And I didn't have a symptom. I didn't even know that I had it. I, had, I went and got a test just in general. And it's one of those ones where they said you're positive. I was like, really? Are you serious? And I had nothing. Like, I didn't have a headache. I didn't have a cough, which I guess is a very lucky thing. But then on top of that, though, Alex, and you'll know this. Once I did have it, and it wasn't a false positive because I took three different tests and they're all positive, but now I have the antibodies. Mm -hmm. So kind of explain to people listening what exactly that means in having the antibodies after you've had the coronavirus. So uh, what that means basically is when you contract any disease, your body will try and fight it naturally. And it'll try and attack the virus in a, a way in which it takes the proteins on the virus and takes uh, antibodies. And without getting too technical, what that basically means is your body forms an immune response against it. So it, it will form antibodies, which are basically antibodies, so it attacks different bodies. And in this case, it's going to attack the virus. And that's part of the way that you sort of treat the initial virus. But the antibodies tend to linger. And that's the basis of sort of vaccines, right? That, that's how vaccines work, is that you don't actually get sick, but it creates an antibody response. And the same way if you actually get an infection. Now, right. you'll have antibodies. So theoretically, if you were to get exposed to the coronavirus again, while you had antibodies, you would fight it off. And you may have no symptoms, you may have very mild symptoms, but you shouldn't really get sick with the coronavirus as long as you have antibodies. And those antibodies, you know, are still effective, i.e. the virus hasn't mutated enough away from its original form that those antibodies don't work. So that's kind of the base of the vaccine. And obviously, if you get exposed to it, we know that when we study people, their, their antibodies tend to last for quite a while, uh, mm. at least so far. Like how, how long How long is quite a while? Well, we know at least probably three to six months out that we yeah. study people, they, they still have it. So, you know, probably, you know, if you've had it within three months, we, you're definitely okay, even up to six months. You do hear odd reports of people that have said they've gotten it twice, but, and I don't know if this happened for you, but a lot of people that get coronavirus, their, their test can remain positive for a long ways out, even though, you know, technically yes. they've cleared it. So it's, it's kind of difficult to tell whether you've reacquired the infection or you're just, you have such low levels of the virus in, in your nose that you're just shedding kind of dead virus and it happens to be positive. But, you know, the antibody should confer at least three months, you know, whether they've studied it six, nine months out, most people still have very decent levels of antibodies. Yeah, I still have them now. They're kind of, like I said the other day when we were at work, like I, I got tested, because we do mostly the blood tests, right? the, the, the blood, uh, you know, analysis. And those tests, for people to know, there's three levels, three lines that can form. And one is if you have it, one is if you had the antibodies, one if you have the antibodies. I think that's what it is. So I still have the antibodies, but I said I feel like Marty McFly in Back to the Future when he's starting to disappear. Yeah. The photograph, it's like, no, come back, come back. Because like you said, that was September. So here we are. That's almost October, November, December, January. So we're four months in and it's still So when those antibodies go away, then that means that I would be susceptible again to, to the corona? Correct. Okay. Gotcha. I mean, you might form a, you know, your body might be able to rev up the immune response a little bit faster, but yes, you could be susceptible again. To it again. Because it's interesting because Nick Jackson, he ended up getting it. And he, and I'm, I'm not talking out of school because he just put out a post. No, I saw it actually. Yeah, he posted it just the other day. Yeah. Right. And he was talking about how he he was really bad for two or three weeks. He was in bed. 
He had no sense, no smell. But the one difference for him that I hadn't heard was he had hives uh, all over his body, which they said is is uh, attributed to the corona, which is I hadn't heard that one yet. Yeah, rashes. I mean, it's more common in kids. Uh, kids uh-huh. tend to get rashes more. Um, maybe he's a bit younger than you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> 20 <but> yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, we, rashes were more common in kids. But yeah, it is one of the things. The, the classic one that you hear that loss of taste and smell he had, which seems to be like a lot of people who get it have those and, and yeah. not much not much else really causes that. So so that kind of if you have those symptoms, it's it's pretty strong indicator you likely have coronavirus. It's so funny because that week too, like I was like drinking everything, like orange juice. Can I taste the orange juice? Is it there? Yeah. And then I started fooling myself, like I, I can't taste it. But like what what does orange juice taste like? It plays with your mind a bit. It plays with your mind a bit. Yeah. And then that's one thing that, that I wanted to to talk about. Like if you get corona, which you know, a lot of times the way that it's been kind of spun. Uh, is that, you know, and obviously it, it, it can be fatal in cases, but it can also be, you know, very mild or, or, or nothing in cases like, like me. And I would say that most, the, I, would you say the majority, obviously the numbers say so, but the majority of people get this, have their two weeks of, 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 of issues, and then it kind of goes away. It's like getting Corona is not a death sentence is what I'm saying. No, no, it's not. I mean, when you look at sort of what we look at with it's important is mortality and morbidity. So morbidity is sort of, you know, long-term kind of detrimental effects and mortality is whether or not you die. And we know that the number of people who die from coronavirus is, is not that high. Uh, no matter what you read, it's, it's pretty low. When the numbers bear out, it could even end up being one or 2%. Like it's not going to be super high. Right. Um, and a lot of that is skewed elderly, right? A lot of it is skewed to the older population. So, you know, when you're when you're getting it under the age of 60, like you're probably not going to die. It's the very, very rare person that does. I'm not saying nobody does, but it's very rare. There are kind of the exceptions to that rule. There's exceptions to the rule. But in general, like if you get it under 60, you're, you're probably not going to, to die from it. In terms of long-term effects, I mean, a lot of people are reporting a lot of mental health effects like depression and really, yeah, like there's been a lot of reports that uh, maybe you know analogous almost to PTSD from this, but there's a lot of mental health effects from this. You know, in the past, or at least when it first came out, maybe there was you know a negative stigma with it. If you got it, you know, people, I, I don't know exactly what the mechanism is, but there seems to be increasing reports of some long-term sort of mental health issues, and people can report issues, you know with their heart and lungs, depending on how severe your initial infection was. Uh, I know a colleague of mine who got it, who, you know, he's young, I think he's 40 years old, quite healthy. He got it. He got a little bit sick with it. But even now, I mean, a few months out when he walks upstairs and that he feels it a little bit. So, you know, there can be long-term effects of uh, from the coronavirus. Of course, we don't know what's going to happen, you know, a year or two out. But, right. you know, people that develop severe infections, certainly those that get on a ventilator, they're going to have long-term effects from it, um, as we've seen. Do you think, in your opinion, like, is this being handled properly as far as, is it too severe? Is it is it not severe enough? I mean, wearing masks, I get that. No problem. I think I think it, it took a long time for everyone to accept that. But as far as, like, all of the, of the lockdowns and, and not being able to, you know, all the different things that, that you can't do in some states, and basically Canada is like that pretty much across the board. I know, like, in Winnipeg, where a lot of my friends live, they couldn't go to their parents house for christmas or they were they were uh, advised not to shall we say is that the right way to approach it is it too much like if you were in charge of uh, you know emperor alex pactel mm-hmm. in charge of the world how would you like to see this handled 
Well, I think you'd have to take it seriously. I mean, there are people that get sick, and, and as we're seeing, if the numbers creep up and you start to overwhelm hospitals, even people that could survive are not going to survive because we just gotcha. don't have enough room to care for them. Right. So I think I'm more a fan of targeted lockdowns. I don't believe in widespread. Like things in Toronto are very different than they are in Thunder Bay, like to use an analogy here, right? So right. I don't think it makes sense to lock down everywhere without any rhyme or reason. I think you've got to look and see where your transmission's occurring. So, like, if you know your transmission's occurring, at these kind of things, that's what you target and lock down. So, you know, obviously you need good contract tracing, but if you, if you know that, you know, you, your cases aren't really occurring, for instance, in this area and, and you're not getting a lot of transmission, for instance, at, at schools or something, there's probably no, I, I don't see a good reason to lock down things where you don't have evidence that they're causing transmission. Right. 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 Um, I think if you have evidence they're causing transmission, then you, then you lock it down. I think that's the best approach. I think what we've seen with the virus though, is unless you live on an Island like Australia or something, you're not going to stamp this out to zero without the vaccine. Like it's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's not going to happen on its own, no matter how severe you try and lock down, you can try locking down everything and, and the virus will, you know, uh, sort of find a way to continue to spread. It seems, it just doesn't seem that we're going to be able to completely uh, get rid of it. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, locking down indefinitely everything severely until it goes away is probably not realistic. So I think, you know, you, you try and target it to where the highest transmission areas are. And hopefully in concert with the vaccine over time, uh, you know, we can get a hold of this in the coming months. That's a great point what you talked about Australia because I know New Zealand is like that as well. Hmm. And I've had some friends, actually, I just got offered a, a movie role in New Zealand and it's like, if you, if you take it, you go there and you stay in your hotel for two weeks when you get there. And it's like, but a lot of people, and you know, that, that's what they do to go to Australia as well. I had some people that went there to, to, to do some filming uh, and that's how they're able to co to contain it then, right? Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. And I mean, there isn't a lot of migration in it. They contain everything. So, I mean, in those cases, uh, you know, Taiwan, I think has been able to control, like, like those areas where you can really control it, you can. The U.S. and Canada is not going to be able to do that. Even, mm -hmm. you know, U.S. and Mexico, like it's just too difficult. There's people flying in and out, even the U.K. variant, like we had cases in Alberta, cases here. It's just people come and go and, and you can't really control it like that. So, right. you know, you can try your best, but uh, effectively to think you're going to get to a point where it's going to be gone is without a combination of the vaccine and these measures, it's just not going to happen. Speaking of the vaccine, I got a bunch of questions about it and I want to ask you all of them. But first, I want to give you a friendly reminder from Steven Singer to make sure your sweetheart knows she's your star this Valentine's Day. Picture this, it's Valentine's Day and she opens this really cool gift box and out slides a blue rose trimmed in gold. It's that blue color of the sky just before the sun sets when you can just start to see the stars sparkling in the night sky. That breathtaking blue. Well, now picture a magnificent real 24 karat gold rose deeply dipped in pure 24 karat gold with petals in this rich blue color covered in sparkles made to mimic the night sky. That's Twinkle Twinkle, the brand new exclusive rose only available at Steven Singer Jewelers. Real jewelers, real roses, really dipped in pure 24 karat gold with a real lifetime guarantee. It's always the number one Valentine's gift that lasts forever. It comes with your own free personal love note, and it ships fast and free to the love of your life, your wife, your girlfriend, your daughter, your mom, uh, your husband. It's a little something to say, I'm so lucky to have you in my life. Steven's brand new rose is $79, but his real 24 karat dipped roses start at only $59. Check that out, 59 bucks. So go right now to IHateStevenSinger.com. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. And find out what it means to give a little twinkle twinkle to your loved ones. Let's talk a little bit about the vaccine. I have a lot of questions about it. You know, so, so it, it came out 
uh, seemingly very quickly. It, or is that pretty much the norm for a vaccine to come out, you know, eight to 10 months after a virus comes no, in? No, no, no. It's by far the, 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 the fastest vaccine to come to market for a number of reasons. Uh, so there's really three main vaccines that we have now. Two of them are in North America. The third one is not yet approved here, but it is approved in, in the UK. But the vaccine, you're right, took you know just under a year to come out. Uh, typical vaccines are going to take at least you know three to five years at wow. the short end. So this was much faster for a couple of reasons. Number one, the funding, right? The funding was astronomical for this. Uh, the US had a you know Operation Warp Speed, as they called it. There was a lot of funding. So they were able to quickly move to funding. The second is that at least the two major vaccines are what we call mRNA vaccines. And without getting super technical, um, those vaccines don't require you to grow the the virus in, in sort of petri dishes and wait for that, which can take like six months. That's why the influenza virus takes six months to come out because they have to wait for it to grow. And this, the mRNA technology allows them just to sort of synthesize a small portion and then they can get the immune response. So that happened. And they did go through the appropriate, you know, phase one, phase two, which are more the, you know, biochemical and then the phase three clinical trial. Um, and they're supposed to follow people out you know, till two years, and they will. But after an appropriate period of follow-up where they didn't see anything major, um, most com- countries have thought that the benefits of getting the vaccine out outweigh waiting, you know, the full two years for the study to be completed, because most of the major side effects uh, for most of these things you're going to see within the first six months, and, you know, they haven't seen anything, really. The, mm-hmm. And they're seeing, you know, I mean, it's very efficacious, right? Like, uh, you know, I've gotten the vaccine uh, a couple of weeks ago as a healthcare nice. worker. And, uh, you know, the vaccine rate is about 95% effective. So so which one did you get? I got the Pfizer vaccine. We didn't have much of a, a choice. The Pfizer oh, was yeah. the first one to kind of come out. And working in the ICU, you know, I was one of the people that they, you know, uh, was targeted up front to, to receive the vaccine, thankfully. So, you know, Pfizer is the one that most hospitals get just because it needs to be kept really cold. It's difficult to distribute. Uh, the Moderna vaccine, which is the other one you probably hear about, is the one that uh, is going to go out more to like nursing homes, potentially to your family doctor, probably the one that most people will get in that way. And then there is the AstraZeneca, which is not yet, uh, I don't think, approved in, in North America. Uh, that is approved in the UK. That doesn't need to be kept cold. It's a difference in DNA vaccine. So it can be kind of administered as like normal vaccines are. So those ones are probably going to be more widespread. And why is the one not uh, approved in America yet? Is there reasons for that? Yeah, it's a little bit different. So the AstraZeneca is a DNA vaccine, and it was weird. They they did kind of a two-leg study where they gave people, you know, as you know, these vaccines are, are two doses right now. They gave people right. a full, full dose of the AstraZeneca and then another full dose, and those are about 60% effective. And then they gave people a half dose first and then a full dose later, and that was more effective about 90%. So it's kind of weird. They had two different dosing regimes. And actually, when they only gave the half dose first, it was more effective. And it's thought, you know, with the DNA vaccine, they're actually injecting a bit of the, they're giving you sort of a a chimpanzee uh, kind of molecule that mimics a a common virus associated uh, to help get this into the cell to be transcribed. It's a little bit different. They're using more live components because it's DNA and not mRNA. And because of that, it's thought that maybe if you give a full dose up front, that you're actually generating an immune response to the chimpanzee part and not the part you want. So for these complicated reasons, we don't know what the appropriate dosing regime is. We don't know whether you should, you know, give half a dose first and a full dose or give a full dose and a full dose just because there's different outcomes with that. So it's taking a while longer for people to kind of shift through that and see with the AstraZeneca what the best way to approve it is. The other two were much more clear cut because they were, you know, very clean regimes. They both had very high efficacious rates, well over 90%. And because it's mRNA, it's not really a live vaccine or anything. Uh, so it was uh, a little bit easier, I think, to approve those up front. So when you got the Pfizer, the one that you got, is this one where you have to take it and then like 
a month later, you take another one? Yeah, I've got my first dose and typically wait 28 days to get the second dose. There is a Johnson & Johnson one that's coming through the pipeline if it gets approved that I think is just one dose, but that has not mm-hmm. finished its study yet. And and once you get your second dose, how long does that last for? So we don't know exactly. Um, you know, With the first dose, there is, you know, once you get about 14 days out, there's pretty good immunity. And with the second dose, you kind of top up to, to pretty good levels. And, you know, the vaccine's only been around, they've only studied it about, you know, four months when it first came out, probably five or six months. And the levels are still quite high at that point. You know, I've signed up as part of our hospital to have my levels checked down the line. So, you know, I can report back when I get <laughs> some of those results. But yeah, as far as we know, the, the levels have been pretty good, uh, you know, four to six months out. Were you ever nervous to get it, or as 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 a medical professional, did you think, "Oh, this is perfect. This is this this is going to work great"? Or how did you feel? Yeah. So, I mean, I read the studies in detail, right? So, yeah. Uh, you know, not just kind of the newspaper headlines. I went through all the the literature and everything, and obviously, you know, a lot of us working in the area did that. And based on that, I was pretty confident that that it was the right choice to get the vaccine, just because, you know, the the I think the major hesitation people have is that it's only been out so short. There right. Is, is there going to be something, you know? a year down the line that's bad. And, you know, that for most vaccines, the major side effects are up front. You don't really see anything a year or so out. I'm not saying it's a 0% chance, just pretty mm-hmm. unlikely. And based on where I work, you know, I've seen the worst of the worst of the coronavirus. Like I've seen, you know, what can happen in, in its worst form. So for the small, small, small risk that something bad could happen down the line, it, it was greatly outweighed by the benefit of getting vaccinated. And to be honest, you know, I'm involved in some of the vaccine distribution. And most of the questions I get almost, you know, on an hourly basis are from my colleagues that are, you know, physicians and things that want the vaccine, like that's what they want. And and there's a bit of, you know, almost FOMO, right? They see other people getting it and (laughs) they may not qualify because they don't work in the hospital in the highest risk setting. So, you know, most healthcare providers, uh, especially the physicians really do want the the vaccine as, as soon as they can get it. Now, as far as is, is the distribution of it, I mean, in Canada, I don't know, is there 30 million people, 50 million people, whatever it is, and in the States is 300 million people. How many doses are available and, and how quickly will that be able to be uh, distributed? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not super fast. The Ontario, I think, has vaccinated 100,000 people so far. Initially, they were holding two doses. Now they're just giving everyone one dose because they think there'll be more supply down the pipeline so they don't have to hold that second dose for you. Obviously, getting the Moderna was you know, a second vaccine. If the AstraZeneca gets approved, that'll be a third vaccine. So there'll be more and more coming in. I think the goal here is, you know, there's different phases of rollout. They all say, you know, initially is to long-term care or nursing home residents, you know, high-risk healthcare workers, then older people, and then they'll roll out to, to sort of everybody. So I think the goal here in Ontario is by September to try and roll out to everybody. So by then... They'll have everyone who's high risk kind of vaccinated over the age of 75, and then they'll roll out to everyone else. Um, the U.S. is on a similar timeline. Um, they've definitely done a good job. Like I know a lot in the U.S., the access has been a little bit easier to the vaccine than it has here, just because they have uh, had more access to it. Israel, for instance, is already you know well ahead of the curve. They vaccinated almost Israel. all. Yeah, Israel's by far vaccinated a ton. They were they were very aggressive about buying the vaccine up front, so they had a lot of doses, and they've given it to most of their elderly. So they vaccinated the, the most proportion of their population by a mile. So, uh, you know, I think most people, most of the high-risk people will hopefully get vaccinated by September, which kind of fits with when this virus came back, right? Like, we expect it's probably going to wane again in the summer months, hopefully, like it did mm-hmm. last time. And then will it come back in September, October? Hopefully, if we vaccinated a large part of the population, it won't come back as bad. And then, so the more people, and I just looked it up too, just for, for food for thought. So Israel has almost 9 million people. Canada has 37 uh, million and the United States is 330 million. So 
for Israel to do that, they have obviously a smaller population, but that's still almost 9 million doses that have gone out there. Yeah, like they, they've been very aggressive. They've been, they, they bought a lot of the vaccine right up front. So they were, you know, one of the first stores. I think Bahrain also, like those two countries bought a lot of them up front. Um, the U.S. did as, as well. The U.K. did. I mean, Canada, I think, has a, a number of doses coming later in the year. So, I mean, most of us should get access to it. The goal is by the end of 2021 that anyone who wants a vaccine should have already received it. But this is big business, though, Alex, if you're saying that the governments are buying it. So Pfizer, you know, these the companies are making, you know, big, big money. Yeah, I mean. No doubt, right? Like they're selling these doses in the millions and and nobody's, uh, you know, going to not want to buy them. Like there's a lineup to buy them. So right. that's that's why there's a lot of funding to get it out, right? <laughs> and so what do they cost, like $50 a shot or something like that? Uh, you know, I, I don't actually know um, because, you know, we don't pay for it. I don't actually know right. the, what they're gotcha. selling it for. I, I don't think they're trying to make tons on each individual. Like I don't think they're marking up each one a ton. I think it's probably just they're making their money by volume of distribution, right? Because they're, they're going to sell so many. So for, for you, or I guess for anybody, when, and, um, w- when you get the vaccine, is it, is it going to be free for the population or will the population have to pay for that? No, it's going to be oh, free. free. Okay. So it's, it's done by the government. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that makes, that makes sense. That's, that's cool. So is this, I guess, I guess what it's going to be like is, is when you go for a flu vaccine at, at Walgreens, shall we say, or shoppers drug mart, if you're in Canada and you just go in there and get it eventually. Yeah. Eventually. I mean, like the Pfizer is not stable enough at cold temp at warmer temperatures so uh, mm-hmm. the moderna and the astrazeneca probably will be so those are the ones you're probably going to see more at your family doctor your pharmacy depending on how they decide to roll it out uh and you can probably make appointments and go and, and get it so very very similar to the flu vaccine in fact almost identical in terms of that it's interesting but, but like for for me like and you being a doctor, you might get it every year, but I can't remember the last time I got a flu vaccine. Like you just never think about it. No. And I mean, yeah, the uptake of the flu vaccine, like I, I do get it because of we work in the ICU and mainly not, not to protect myself, but I don't want to give it to others, right. You, right. That, that are sick already. So that's the main reason I get it. Yeah. So, you know, most people don't necessarily get the flu vaccine. We know that the uptake is in, is definitely less than 50%. Like it, it's not that high. In order for the vaccine to work to the point of herd immunity, herd immunity means that even those that don't get the vaccine are, are going to be sort of protected because the virus just isn't spreading at any high level because so many people are either vaccinated or already have antibodies that mm-hmm. you don't get it circulating and eventually it'll die out. You're going to need about 60 to 70% to either be vaccinated or to be exposed to it and have antibodies. So, you know, we're going to need a higher uptake to, to kind of get rid of the coronavirus, if you will, or have mm-hmm. a shot at getting rid of it. So, you know, I do think the uptake will be, you know, for people, here's, here's the part, right? I, a lot of people tell me, you know, I want to wait a bit, right? Because like, this just came out, I want to wait a bit and see. And I think the what's going to be nice about it is by the time that most people right. that, that are at home get their chance to get the vaccine, like it's going to have been a while, right? Like right. You're not going to get it right away. You might get it in the summer. Let's say you qualify by September. Well, that point it's been out like over a year almost, right? So yeah. you're going to be able to look at that data and say, oh, look, like, you know, they still didn't see anything a year out, hopefully. So, you know, if you're one of those people that really, you know, wants to wait, by the time you are actually eligible for it, provided that you aren't one of the high-risk groups, there will be more data. Like, they're going to continue to follow this. So that'll all be released as it comes out. And you really don't, like, yeah, like you said, like, you really don't have any choice. Like, I'm, I'm one of those guys, it's not, it's not like I'll, I'll wait, not because I, I don't, I'm nervous about it. I'll wait because I already had it. So give it to the people who need it, and I'll you know, give it to whoever and I'll be the last in line to get it. And plus by then, like you said, you'll know more, but even if I wanted to get it today, 
you really can't. No, you can't. Right? Like, you, you, you can't really jump the queue. And I mean, like, there is a lot, especially, there. like I said, there's a lot of healthcare providers that really want it. A lot of people really want the vaccine. You know, there's there's equal number of people that are apprehensive. And hopefully, you know, you, you do end up getting the vaccine at some point. I think everybody should that, that can get it safely. Yeah. Uh, but you're not going to be able to just walk in and get it right now. They're going to kind of, it's a scarce resource, right? They're going to have to give it in an appropriate or equitable manner to try and get, like you said, the highest risk people that need it the most vaccinated first. And uh, eventually, you know, everyone will get their turn. And, you know, by the time most people get their turn, it will be a little bit later in the lifespan of the virus. Right. It's funny because like, you know, on my, on my show, I have many different topics and people and I always enjoy the paranormal and the conspiracy theories and that sort of thing. So it's good to talk to a medical professional about the vaccine because I've heard all of the uh, other, you know, conspiracies behind it. And, and you, sometimes you get into your own head where it's like, oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a controlling device set up by the government, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the one thing I will say, like, like the analogy I'll use is let's say I wanted to send my son to be a wrestler. I mean, I, I would go look up all the wrestling schools, but one of the things is if I knew Chris Jericho was sending his son somewhere, yes. and I knew all these other people were sending their kids somewhere, right? Like Shawn Michaels or anyone mm -hmm. you pick, you know, I'm not saying that would necessarily mean I would automatically pick that school, but I would look at that school pretty carefully and be right. like, well, they're all sending their, their kid there. There's got to be, you know, they know more than I do. And I would say that universally, every physician that is involved in this, especially at the higher levels that are actually dealing with this, all want the vaccine. Like, Right. That is literally what they want for themselves and their families. They're not going to lightly risk giving it to themselves and families. They've obviously read everything in detail. And most people want it because they, they think that the benefit of getting the vaccine will outweigh whatever small theoretical unknown risk we have. Because like I said, even if you don't die from the coronavirus, you can have long-term effects, especially if you get a bit sick up front that can linger. Sure. Yeah. And like you said, and, and also too, you don't want to you don't want to give it to anybody else either. You know, it's the same reason why you shouldn't, you know, drink and drive. I mean, if you kill yourself, that's one thing. But if you kill somebody else because of it or hurt somebody else because of it, that's a whole other, you know, other, other ball of wax sort of thing. Completely. I mean, there's people that can't get the vaccine that rely on herd immunity because they're immunocompromised or, or they can't get it because, uh, you know, their immune system doesn't allow them to, to get a vaccine. Right. So a lot of those people need, need, you know, everyone else to, to kind of look out for them as well, as you said. Do you feel um, that this will be like, a, like, like you said, everybody will get it this year, next year, and then it'll be kind of like the flu virus where, where people just stop getting it? Or is it going to something you think is going to be an annual thing? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it will, we don't know whether it's going to be one shot and you don't need it again. And basically the coronavirus dies out and we're all fine. And 2022 is more like, you know, 2019, we don't know if that's going to be the case, right. or whether, you know, we're still going to get low levels of the virus that hang around because it mutates enough that you need, you know, repeated shots every year, like influenza. Uh, we have no idea how it's going to go. So far, you know, the different mutant strains seem to be susceptible to the vaccine. So hopefully it goes the former way and, and we only really need one shot and then it tends to wane away uh, and we don't need repeated boosters, at, at least not for a while. Um, but we don't know until until we kind of go through the cycle right. and see what happens. Do you think that it'll be uh, something that, that becomes mandatory in North America or maybe even worldwide? I don't think so. I don't think they'll they'll make it mandatory um, because, you know, and I don't think it should be, to be honest. Like, like gotcha. while I'm a strong proponent of it, I think everyone should. I think, you know, because everyone um, – you know, is in charge of their own health ultimately. Yes. You know, I believe in autonomy. Like I believe we give you all the data you need and you make the decision. And you know, whether or not you make a good decision or a bad decision with that, I mean it's your body and it's it's uh your life. And I, I shouldn't be dictating that you have to do this. Right. 
Um, so I think in in that sense, uh, you know, hopefully everyone does make the choice to to take the vaccine when it's available to them. Uh, but I don't think we're going to get to the point where we're mandatorily sort of forcing it. It's interesting because because you wonder like uh, maybe to to let's say to go to England or to get on a plane. I'm wondering if they won't make it mandatory. But if you want to do this travel, for example, you have to have the vaccine. Do you see something like that happening? Yeah, I can, I can see them saying, look, if you're vaccinated, you know, you don't have to wait two weeks. You can just come here and... Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I see like what you're saying. You, you, you could fly into Australia and you can start work or start tourism right away. But if you're not vaccinated, you have to wait two weeks. I can, uh, you know, in your hotel room. I can see that, right? Being something that they may institute um, just because they... So I, I can see that being something I can see. You know, if you're vaccinated, they're going to... If you have proof of vaccination, they're going to open up more things because they don't think that, you know, you're you're going to get people sick. You know, we don't. The other thing we don't really know, though, is if you're vaccinated, you know, can you still even though you're not going to likely develop coronavirus, can you still get a little bit of it and spread it to somebody? We don't know that. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. we don't know if there's any asymptomatic spread, even from those who are vaccinated. So we're going to have to wait and see. Hopefully there isn't. But we don't know. And once again, ultimately, it's up to you to take the chance. Well, if I, I don't want the vaccine and if someone gives it to me that has the vaccine, well, tough luck for me. I think I would, you know, I'll be, I'll be, like I said, I'll get it when, 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 you know, it's, it's available for a guy like me, a healthy guy, but I would, I think people don't like being told what to do. You know what I mean? So if I said, you have to take it, I think a lot of people would go, you know, screw you. I'm not going to take it. It's, it. Your idea sounds a lot better. Like, okay, if you don't take it, you can still do these things, but you have to wear your mask on the flight and you have to stay for two weeks in, you know, X country. That seems a little bit more fair. Yeah, I think so. And I, I, I think I really do, you know, I've talked to a number of people that are hesitant about vaccine. Mm-hmm. Part of part of what I do at work is talk to people that are, are hesitant. Like, you know, like I said, physicians aren't, but you know, we have nurses, PSWs, people that are eligible that that are sometimes hesitant. And, you know, we'll sit with them and explain why we got the vaccine and and what we've looked at. And, you know, some people think the doctors get a different vaccine. Like they'll tell me, Oh, I'm not gonna get the same one you do. But like you know, so a lot of times there are people that are just right. concerned. And I think a lot of people are just, you know, scared of the unknown. Like, like the vaccine is out, you know, they're like, oh, the vaccine's already here. Oh, I don't know if I want it right now. You know, maybe I'll wait and see. And, you know, I understand that. Like, I don't think there's going to be anything down the line. I don't think you need to wait. But if you feel for yourself that you want to wait a bit and see, uh, you know, that that's a decision you can make for yourself. And most people, by the time they're eligible, you know, there will be a bit of time where you'll get to see what happens. And I think, you know, if everyone around you has a vaccine, and you know, people that have had it for a while, that'll also help, right? If you know that, you know, your sister who happens to be a nurse got the vaccine six months ago, and she's doing well with it, you know, you'd yes. probably be more likely to get it, right? As opposed to me coming, trying to force it on you. So, you know, I, yeah. I don't think that approach works. It's interesting too, because I remember, I mean, I, ca- I can't even see it anymore, but when I was a kid, I was born in 1970. Was it the polio vaccine that we all had that had the little circle on your shoulder? I'm not, yeah. I'm, yeah. The polio vaccine. Yeah. yeah like, and, and how old are you? I am 40. So you didn't have to get it, right? No, I did get the polio vaccine. I mean, there was a BCG vaccine. Is that what you're talking about against tuberculosis? Yeah, it it had a little – everyone had – it was a vaccination scar that we all had from my generation. Yeah, I think it's just they've changed the the way that they administer it. But yeah, no, I mean, I got the polio vaccine. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure we all No, I don't have the scar. Yeah, so. Yeah, it was like – it looked like a a circle, like some kind of like – I don't know how the – they were sticking, <laughs> it thing, but you know, so we all had that as as babies, even as kids. So it, you know, it, it, and that was the 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 you know, like whatever vaccine it was. So that was something that was that we took without even knowing because that's what you had to that you had to have at the time. But it's just interesting to see the different 
years go by of all the vaccinations. Like we mentioned, I'm sure there was a time when you had to get the flu vaccination or else you would die of influenza. That was a big thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, exactly. And a lot of these like polio has been, you know, a lot of these have been eradicated, right? Because of the vaccine. Because of the vaccine. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can say, you know, there's some people that say, oh, if you target lockdown and don't do anything, the virus will go. And I think we're seeing like, there's some place that have very strong lockdown measures. And while it helps, we're certainly not seeing the virus go away. So I, I don't see, unless you combine that strategy with vaccination, how you're going to achieve, you know, zero COVID or, or whatever it is that we're trying. It's to always going to be here, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, clearly it, it's still around and we're not going to be able to fully get rid of it unless we, you know, in concert with those measures, introduce the vaccine and have good uptake. That's really the only way. And it's interesting too, because we talked earlier about kind of the, 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 mass lockdown with all the, 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 like you mentioned, it should be different, you know, according to the situation of the, the cities or like I live in Florida and I think we have less cases than California and California is in the major lockdown in Florida. It's fairly open. Mm-hmm. So to me, it seems that might be a smarter thing to do. Cause like you said, it's not going to go away, but be smart about it. And if you're high risk, give them the vaccine first and keep those people safe. But for people like, like us that can go to work and make money to keep the lights on for people that can't. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, uh, you know, I think you, you, if you notice that there are is increasing spread in a particular domain, like schools or, or a particular industry, like that is really on rampant. Then I think you have to lock that down. Or if you notice that a particular city is getting uh, excessive spread, you, you try and lock it down. And I think you target it. And the only way you can do that is contact trace how people are getting the, the virus and try and uh, identify your measures. And, you know, at this point, if you can introduce the vaccine in a more accelerated manner, that's going to be more beneficial than almost anything else you do. Like basically right. the faster you get it out, that's going to be more bang for your buck in terms of, of trying to save lives. I want to talk to you about masks and the effect they're having on the COVID spread, Alex. But first, I need to thank Geico for making this episode possible. I know everybody either rents or owns their homes and it can be hard work, as we all know. But you know what's easy is bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. And it's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Let's talk about the masks. How is that helping? And then, like I said, I have I have all four. But even like we're sitting on the plane for five hours, we're all breathing the same air on the plane but you still have to wear your mask. Explain those reasons for that. Yeah, so the virus is thought to spread through respiratory droplets. So droplets in your your mouth and, and nose that kind of get expelled, uh, mm-hmm. cough, coughing or sneezing or, or breathing. And I, uh, the mask is twofold. Number one, it locks that in, so mm-hmm. you're not spreading it out. And number two, even if it is kind of spreading you, it's like a barrier, right? So it protects you and it protects others. Uh, how effective masks are, you know, we, we don't know fully. Um, you know, when we're doing, for instance, I, I'm involved in putting breathing tubes in people and other procedures where they're clearly going to aerosolize the virus in my face. And we wear a tighting, tighter fitting mask called an N95 mask or, 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 you know, a respirator or something of that equivalent that is a little bit stronger than your average mask because we're clearly going to get exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for every sort of day casual kind of stuff, you, the normal mask will 
prevent a barrier and it'll prevent you from aerosolizing those droplets. If you happen to have the virus, uh, you're not going to be able to spread it. So that's kind of the reason. The problem with indoors is we do know that it can become kind of aerosolized in the air. And that's why, you know, there's some stuff out of China where like one guy in a restaurant had it and it got aerosolized. So theoretically, if you have the mask on, it, it'll prevent you a little bit more from, from doing that and expelling it into the air and, and getting it as well. That being said, I mean, even if you are in an area for a long time, like a plane with a mask, it doesn't mean that you won't get it. It's, it's not an instant mm. kind of solution. Do you see the masks being a thing for a, for a long time or once kind of the herd immunity kicks in and people get the vaccine, we'll be able to get rid of that? Yeah, I mean, right now we're going to have masks for a while because we need to know, you know, after the vaccine, you're not immediately immune the day you get your vaccine. It takes a while to build up antibody levels. So, you know, let, let's say people a couple of weeks out after their second dose, most people are going to be immune by that point. We're going to need pretty good uptake of the vaccine. We're going to need to show that the virus isn't mutating and kind of getting its way around the vaccine. So I anticipate for a while we're going to see masks. Um, eventually, if we do get to the point where the virus is basically gone and, and the vaccine is highly effective and most people have it, then yeah, I think you can hopefully go back to a period in time where you don't need the masks. If we tend to get everyone vaccinated by this year, I would think 2022 at the earliest some point, maybe they'll start to loosen some of those restrictions. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, it's funny because... Um you know, for, for AEW, you know, we get tested and, and we're kind of in our little bubble of the arena and the hotel. But I was thinking like, man, like we are sweating on each other, bleeding on each other, spit, snot, you name it. And it's been very, very minimal cases in AEW. I mean, there's been a few, but overall it's been very, very, you know, non-existent. So you would think like, and my point is for you, and, and you don't have to say either way. I don't want you to. But it seems to me like you've been exposed so much. Like everybody that's a doctor in your position would pretty much get it or at least have a high, high, high chance of getting it. But lots haven't. And I guess it's just very strange. It seems very random on who's getting it and who's not. It does. I mean, some like, like um, you know, to give you an idea, uh, in the ICU, we have, I think, 20 people in my group. Three have gotten it. So wow. three, three physicians have gotten it probably at work. I mean, that, that's probably how they got it. Sure. But three out of 20 when they're breathing in your face, you know, getting – yeah, exactly. I mean, the masks do help, right? Because we're we're going to be in with masks. We wear masks, face shields, a whole whole night. Yeah, I gotcha, gotcha. That kind of stuff. The the PPE will help. I mean, obviously, we're using pretty extensive PPE, so we do know the PPE is is effective. Like, if you're walking around with you know masks and face shields, not that everyone's walking around the community like that, but in those kind of settings, they're they're pretty effective. So. That's been good. I mean, you, you were going to have a lot of difficulty finding healthcare workers if it was just spreading to all of us. So, you know, initially when it first came out, we didn't know. Uh, we were going into work thinking, I mean, we may get it tomorrow, right? Because we don't know. But right. it's borne out more and more that that if we do wear uh, the appropriate PPE, it is effective in preventing transmission by and large. Mm -hmm. And I guess just like I said, for, for, for us in AEW, it's just because everyone's tested and healthy. I mean, yeah. that's the other thing, right? We, you know, we don't get tested as frequently in, in the hospital. We do get tested. You know, anytime there's a bit of an outbreak, we all get tested and you're off work. Uh, if anyone's kid has a sniffle, you're off work. Like you can't come in. So we right. do that kind of stuff. And obviously you guys, you know, I think part of the reason your rates are low is just because you're testing, right? And and if you're positive, you're out before you in infect others. And that's kind of what they're doing. Yeah, we do the blood tests. And then if that one is positive, then you go get the the, the nasal test, at the, at, you know. To, to yeah, I mean, the, the blood test will tell you that you've had the coronavirus, right? Right. Measures. The uh, nasal swab will tell you, is it more recent or not? That's the idea. So, Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, like I, I probably had, at this point, 50 tests, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which is good. It's good to know. But 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 even so, like, well, like I told you, I from having and having the antibodies, but nobody in my family had it 
Well, that's great. You know? I mean, so yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's what you want, right? Yeah, that's what you want. And I mean, you know, sometimes if you identify, I've known people like that too. If they identify up front, they have it. You know, you're you're obviously going to try and distance from your family at home a little bit when you know yeah. you have it and they don't. And that seems to be effective. Sometimes you don't find out until a few days later, and by then it's too late. So it's gotten around, we don't yeah. exactly know, right? I mean, I've seen families like my my brother's family had coronavirus. And he lives in Seattle. Uh, his wife had it. He didn't have it though. Daughter didn't have it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of stuff happens once they figure out. They try and separate a little bit, and, and sometimes that's effective. So, you know, I mean, the less people that have it, the better, obviously. But yeah, I think knowing upfront, like contact tracing, which is what this is, where you can identify who has it and who they've been in contact with and kind of isolate, is very effective in terms of of preventing more spread if you can identify that. So we're talking about um, actually in Tampa. It's, it's interesting because they were going to have fans for the Lightning games for hockey, and for the Raptors are now playing here. Your 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 guys' team, mm-hmm. but they just uh, they were, I actually had bought tickets for my son to go to the Raptors game on January fourteenth, but they just canceled that. I just got an email. I'm a season ticket holder for the Leafs and Raptors. So I just got my email saying they were trying to get us tickets if we wanted to go, and yet yeah, they're not having fans anymore. So. Pushing it back to at least February fifth, and I think that was probably. A league mandate, maybe, or, or a city mandate? I think it's more probably a city mandate. It seems like it's specific. I mean, the one I got was specific to the Raptors and the Tampa Bay Lightning. So mm-hmm. there was probably something in that area where they determined it was just too high risk to have people in here. But yet the Super Bowl is here, and that will have fans. I mean, I just went to a Bucks game a couple of weeks ago. And is that because it's outside? Yeah, maybe? yeah the outside is less risky. Yeah. Gotcha. So I, th- I think that that is that is the major difference. If you spread people out outside a little bit more, it, it's going to be more effective uh, in terms of versus indoors. So, you know, outdoors is definitely safer. We do know that. When do you think it'll be? I mean, I guess we kind of already answered this question, but when will we be able to go to, you know, our last show in Salt Lake City, March 11th in front of 5000 people in an arena? When do you think we'll be able to, to do that again? I mean, I don't think it's it's hopefully not as far away as, as some people think. I think, you know, if you have good up, the, the levels will wane in the summer, even if we do nothing about it like it did last time. Because it's cold in the winter, so that's more conducive to this. And because it's warm in the summer, it goes away? Exactly. It tends to go away more in the summer for a number of reasons. One of them is like your outdoors more. The respiratory droplets are a little bit different in the summer versus winter. So a little bit different in terms of uh, gotcha. transmission and stuff like that. So it will typically wane in the summer. This time, obviously, we're going to have increasing levels of vaccination. So that'll help too. Right. So we do anticipate over the summer, hopefully the levels go down. How low they go or whether we don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. I think over the summer, if you start to hit levels where the virus is getting very low and we're getting higher rates of vaccination, you might start opening up things, you know, socially distanced initially at first, not cramming everyone, but you might start to see more and more people be allowed into these kind of venues and and try and get back to some level of normalcy. Uh, and then we'll just have to wait till September, October rolls around. I think that's when we saw the spike this time. That's when we anticipate the spike. And hopefully if we have enough people vaccinated by then, um, we don't see that spike again. Like you said, the more it's, it's, it's the domino effect, you know, we're very early in the, the vaccination, but every day goes by more people are getting it. So it starts out little. And then by the time it gets bigger, then that's when you know, between the vaccination, herd immunity, we'll be able to get kind of get back to that then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, provided, you know, we cross our fingers and hope that the virus doesn't find a way around the vaccine and hasn't so far. And if it doesn't and, and it's contained by it and we get good uptake of the vaccine, those two things being paramount uh, and we don't have, you know, rampant levels by then, we should hopefully be able to get back to some feeling and being more normal after that. That's going to be so awesome. <laughs> Everybody's just waiting for that to happen, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think everyone, you know, when this started, which is about February or March or whatever it was of this year, when it when it started to hit, I think most people were hoping for a few weeks and yeah. weeks has become, you know, months yeah. into a year. So 
you know, at this point, you know, if, if we can get back by, if by September, October, we're not seeing spikes and, and we're kind of able to maintain the summer levels and then it starts to go away, I think that'd be a win that, that we'd all take. Remember the, uh, the innocent days of flatten the curve? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Eh, a couple of weeks, we'll flatten the curve and then we'll be all right. I think we talked about that last time. <laughs> Final few things. So when when you when you were talking about this uh, virus, is it still with all that you know? Is it is it still possible that it started from from somebody eating a bat in a wet market in China? Well, I mean, the thought is that yeah. I mean, I don't know if they ate the bat or whether the bat somehow transmitted this or exactly. It's not really clear how, but yeah. I mean, based on what they identified and sequenced, it that is the most likely spot it started from. Um, you know how exactly got you know it was a wet market probably the bat. DNA or whatever it is, the, the virus somehow got from the bat to a person and that's what happened. I don't know if they ate it or whether the bats, you know, spit on them or what happened exactly, but <laughs> something like like this is probably the route. I don't I doubt we'll ever actually know the, the exact Yeah, way. yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Is this something that that could happen again? You know, if you look at the light, I mean, you know, SARS and MERS were similar to this. They never got as bad, obviously, but you know, there was a, a lag. I mean, SARS happened when I, you know, about two thousand and yeah you know, five or whatever it was, or 2004. So yeah, it could definitely happen again. Um, hopefully we're better prepared for it. I mean, the, the one thing is we did see that with the mRNA the technology, the vaccine came out pretty quick, right? Like, like it was within a year. So right. if something like this were to happen again, I think, you know, our estimates would be that or less, hopefully that we'd be able to, to kind of create a vaccine. Um, a lot of the public health measures are much better. Uh, you know, we know even treatment wise, what kind of worked for this vaccine in the hospital. So hopefully we'd be a little bit better at combating anything the next time around. But, uh, you know, unfortunately I think it's entirely possible that, you know, in our lifetime, we're going to see something like this again, hopefully just our response is a little bit more informed and better than it was. Cause there's people that, that feel, well, actually there's, I'll write that down. So don't forget. Why, why did SARS and MERS not get to this extent? Then. Well, it's something based on the R naught. The R naught is a measure of how fast the virus spreads. So, like for each person that gets the virus, how many do they spread to? So, for SARS and MERS, one thing was the virus killed a lot more people. So, if you got the virus, you got sick, you probably went into hospital, and you may or may not have died, but you didn't spread it to as many people. Oh, that's the so reason. So, that's the main reason. You know, there's these little games. If you look on your iPhone, you can play Plague, where you try and become a virus and take over the world and kill people. <laughs> and you notice that, like, it's not, you know, if you, if you try and do what, what you might think is intuitive, make the most lethal virus, you won't get that far because you'll just kill people that have it and it won't spread if you really want to spread it has to be able to spread fast and not cause a ton of death right because people that have it have to be able to spread gotcha, it. So gotcha. with those they were just getting so sick right up front i think they were able to contain it a little easier and it didn't spread as fast this one tends to spread more it's, it's a little bit different similar more similar to influenza i think in terms of how it spreads it just spreads faster and isn't as lethal so more people are getting it that one was more fatal but not as easily spread, not as contagious. Exactly. Gotcha. Because what I was going to say is, is also too, when you mentioned, you know, we talked about March, you said February, there's a lot of people that I know, my mother-in-law is one of them that is convinced she had it in December. Mm -hmm. She said she possible. Is it, was it coming in around that early, possibly? There certainly were reports, I think, of a lot of people that had similar illnesses. If you're curious if you had it, you can go do the blood test. I mean, the nasal test right. will tell you, but the blood test, the antibody test will will tell you. Um, you know, um, I think they did in Iran. There was a study where they went around and they randomly 
just went to a village with high risk and said, okay, right. we're just going to take a bunch of blood samples. And like, I can't remember the exact percentage, but 10 or 11% or something had had the virus, if not more. So they had already been exposed and they had no idea because they never had any symptoms at any point. They don't even know, but they had antibodies to it. So, you know, like yourself, you were asymptomatic, right? So you, yeah. if you weren't tested, you wouldn't know necessarily. So, never know. Um, you know, it, 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 it is something that people are really curious and they think they can go get the test done to see. And uh, some people might be surprised that they end up, you know, having it based on something small that you really didn't take that seriously. Do you find it strange or, or is it just kind of not talked about? Are people still getting the flu? No, now? you're right. You're right. No, you're 100% right. The one thing is usually at our hospitals are pretty full anyway from like the flu, right? Or, or mm. common respiratory disease. And we're not, we're not seeing that. And I mean, I don't think it's just us. I think almost worldwide, we're not seeing influenza. Uh, and I don't think it's because people have just taken the flu vaccine. I really don't think that that's the main reason. I mean, what it is, I don't know. Maybe because we're all just like distance and not going out, the flu is not spreading as easy. <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, I, I don't, it'd be very interesting. I think one of the things that we were all just talking about this the other day is to look back on this after and see like, what happened? Why did the flu not spread mm. this year? And it might be interesting to see like, like what, what is the reason for that? Is there, is it because we were just more distant? Is it because there was more uptake of the flu vaccine? I don't necessarily think there is just based on, on local. No. Or is it because, you know, for whatever reason with this virus going around, maybe if you get this, you don't get influenza. There's a bit of cross rectivity. I don't know. I guess we're, we're going to have to see, but yeah, it, it, it's definitely true that there's far less influenza. I mean, is it possible that the Corona cells could have eaten the influenza cells? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, like they're different enough, but I, I don't know. It, uh, again, I don't have a good explanation for it. I don't think anybody does. It is something everyone has noticed that that works in the, the healthcare industry that we're not seeing influenza for whatever reason. The first thing we did was go back and look at our vaccination rates and uh, like they're not any different than they were for previous years. Gotcha. Uh, at least at least in my area. I don't know if that's true everywhere, but I imagine it is. Last uh, last few questions for you. We've I heard you on on Dave Meltzer's show, and we've spoken a few times. You mentioned that you're in the front lines. You've been surrounded by by Corona for almost a year now. Corona, 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 Corona. Are you okay? Are you getting enveloped in this where it's starting to drive you a little bit nuts? Are you are you able to kind of step away from it at times as well? Yeah, I mean, it definitely starts to get on you because I mean, there was a time when everything we did was Corona. We'd have meetings about it. You go to work, come home, and that that was it. And there was more information coming much more rapidly initially uh that went away for a bit and then with the vaccine it started up again like we were having you know yeah. sort of conferences on the vaccine and looking at this so yeah you kind of live in that world where it's just corona all the time and you know your colleagues get it you know just today one of my colleagues his son got sick so we're trying to find coverage so i mean this kind of stuff happens all the time for us you know i mean having family having friends even being able to watch you know some wrestling on tv stuff right. like that helps just things that you would normally do if you can kind of get away from it a bit it helps so you know, it's not just me. A lot of people have obviously been in that situation. But I think all of us, the whole world at this point, right? What have you been? Uh, have, what have you been watching wrestling wise? Uh, well, I saw. You know, I've been watching a little bit of um, the AW stuff. I, I watched. Uh, you know, the Brody Lee show. I thought was mm -hmm. was great. All things considered, you know, just one of the best shows I've seen. I saw last week. I saw a little bit of the New Japan stuff uh, over the weekend. So, uh, yeah, just you know, little things like that. Um, you know watching a little bit of football that was on TV and then hopefully the NHL starts up again. So, yeah, man, that's, that's, like I said, it'll be great for us too. Like we were on such a roll as a company. And I think even now, I, I think our ratings in Canada for, for dynamite are even beating raw and SmackDown. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be great to finally get to come to, to Canada, come to Toronto, you know, and do these shows and go to the UK where we're really popular as well. It's, it's so weird for me being such a, a, a road dog traveling, moving, and we've I've traveled to Jacksonville and back. That's about it. I went to New York once. I went to LA a couple of times and the rest has just been 
at home. I haven't been home this much in, in 25 years. Yeah, I know. I think we're all getting a bit stir crazy of not being able to, to travel. I mean, uh, you know, you kind of look in when you're in our area and you kind of map out where you can drive to in your own country and it's, it's not that far for us. Exactly, right? Exactly. So what's going to be entertaining for you and your family? So yeah, I, I, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, in the coming months and certainly hopefully by, uh, you know, a year from now at the latest that the things are, are definitely opening up much more. Uh, you know, without the vaccine, I don't think this was going to be possible. So the fact the vaccine has come gives everyone optimism that that this is hopefully going to get better uh, in the coming months. I mean, it's almost a placebo in a way, too. But not the fact that it actually works, but the fact that it's out, people will be so excited to have it and, and feel feel better no matter what, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, if you look at these numbers right now, especially where they're rising in some areas like and the lockdowns are increasing, I think, you know, people are obviously saddened by it. But you do have that little bit of beacon of hope because you know the vaccine is here and you know that hopefully things will get Right. get better right so i think you know the, even if even if you're not getting it right away just knowing that it's out there and available and it's been approved and, and we're starting to vaccinate i think gives everyone hope that you know we're going to have a, a better year you know yeah. this year and next year than we had in the words of john lennon can't get no worse yeah <laughs> <laughs> alex it's great talking to you man and very informative and, and very very positive to hear uh hear your your information and your thoughts on everything and when we come to toronto i promise i will get you and your family tickets to our show oh wow that'd be that's a yeah. given <laughs> that'd be great yeah <laughs> thank you man it's great to talk to you thanks a lot thanks for having me on okay.